Welcome, everybody, to Who's Your Band? I am Jeffrey Paul. I am joined by my co-host, Mr. Sean Morton. How are you, Sean? Yeah, please don't lean into the camera like that. It makes your head look like a fucking basketball. I'm still trying to figure out this whole thing. You know, yeah, this- usually it's better for you to have it off. Yeah. Just, do yeah. the, just do the audio. Actually, if you can want to mute, too, we can, we can do muting as well. It's been two years. I still haven't figured out Zoom. Yeah, well... Yeah. Yeah. Listen, folks, Sean's got a big show coming up uh, the day after St. Patty's Day, March 18th, over at TIFF. So he'll be headlining. Joining him will be uh, KP Burke and Lynette Palladino. So please get tickets and uh, check out Sean Morton. But right now, we're going to welcome in our guest. Uh, this guy is a comedian, he's an actor, he's a writer. Please give it up for our buddy, Mr. Sean Donnelly. How are you, Sean? Hey, how are you? How's it going, everybody? We're good, man. Uh, you've been a pretty busy guy, huh? Um, Kind of. I think that uh, I was busier before COVID. Things are kind of getting back to normal now. But um, yeah, I, I uh, yeah, I've, I've been doing some road stuff. I kind of got, I don't know about you guys, but I got like burnt down on it for a while. So uh, and I think everything's changed so much trying to like explore different avenues like podcasting, whatever else. So but yeah, I've been trying to stay busy. I think it's so easy for all of us in comedy to forget that it's a business. Like I, oh, I, do, yeah. it I do it all the time where I'm like, oh, I should like be spending more being more diligent with my with my time. Pretty much. Comedy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So oh, yeah. I've been I've been busy lately because I tried to like uh, I've been trying to like actually send emails and work on stuff instead of just like kind of waiting for stuff. Yeah, you've been. I know you as as a comedian, like primarily yeah, as a that's comedian. That's my primary I'm, job. Yeah. Right. But I didn't know uh, until I really looked into your background a little bit more how much into acting you've gone. Like you've done uh, Inside Amy Schumer. You've done been on Billions. You've been on uh, FBI on CBS. Is that a direction you kind of see yourself kind of like going in, you know, as you're getting a little bit older? Um, You know, I wish I would. I would love to be into that. Uh, in that world, you know, acting becomes like a, like an added bonus. I, I, in comedy, when you, I got a couple of things, uh, a a certain amount of years, several years ago. So like from that, you get the auditions and anything I've ever done. Like I'm not a real actor. Like it's like comedic, you know, comedian actor thing where it's like anything I've done for the most part is like super tiny roles in those things. So I would love to go get thrown into that, get a, like a, a bigger, a bigger role and then get thrown into that world because it's kind of like, I don't know, can supplement stand-up. As we know, stand-up isn't a uh, retirement strategy. So <laughs> so I absolutely would love to, uh, I'd love to be in that world. I, I have a lot of respect for it and I lo- I'm a big movie guy. And um, so I would love that, but it's like, it's kind of like, I don't know, any of the things I've done, it's like winning a scratch off. You like can't count on it. You know, like you can kind of set up gigs after a certain point for stand up, but like you can't really count on acting stuff. It's kind of like found money when you get it. But I would love that. Yeah. And as, and the older I get, I I think I'll probably hopefully get more because I kind of uh, I kind of look older anyway. You know, Yeah, some guys go into writing like Mike Lawrence and uh, Dan St. Germain. You yeah. know, and some guys kind of like gravitate more into acting. I guess like someone like a uh, Dan Soder, you know, yeah. you're starting to see him get into more things like that. Um, I, I, when, I, when I see you, I, I, I could see you do either one and being good at both. Oh, uh, thanks. You know, yeah. I mean, like you, you had the lead in kind of, it was a commercial. I mean, it was a commercial, but it was like, it was a prominent part in the commercial yeah. and like, you know, it was funny and like, you could see your personality coming out in that. Um, 
how often do you go out and audition or, we, or we, where do you see like, you know, which, what's your end game in like five years from now? Well, if I really, if I, the more I think about what I've done, I stayed in New York cause like I was getting enough work here, but what I probably, for the type of person I am, I probably should have tried LA a long time ago when I had maybe a couple of things, a couple more things going on. Like, and maybe like, I think the, the old plan was, uh, you know, you go out, uh, get whatever in New York, go out to LA and then be like a sidekick on a sitcom and then maybe get into that world and, and bank that. But that's also like such a pipe dream. But like, um, so that was the old plan. Now the way that things are, it's like I get less auditions than I used to. Even the commercial thing, I did that. It went well. It was really fun. Like those commercial guys have it made. You do, because we're standups. That, that whole experience was like, it was so easy because we go and we do, even when you're going to travel for comedy, you guys know it's like, you're doing five shows. You're waiting for nighttime to work. So it's kind of weird. You can't like relax until you're done with that. You know, that's the way I feel at least, but like the commercial thing was like, you got there, it was travel day, but you get there in the morning and then you have a whole day just to hang out in a nice hotel. Like, like uh, they filmed that commercial I did in California. Then the second day is the fitting day. You go for an hour with a wardrobe person and then you're good for the day. And then, then you shoot for a whole day, which isn't that bad. It's like, you know, 10 hours maybe. And then, uh, the next day is you, you take off, you get, you fly out at a convenient time. It's like such a great world. And I thought from getting the one, I thought I'd be like, Oh, I'll at least get some auditions from this. And it kind of like, I, I get them here and there, but I, it's not a ton. It's not, I have friends of mine. I think that have like every, I think I have a very specific, like, you know, blue collar, uh, dock worker look almost oh, like absolutely. Mr. Morton over here. We kind of look very similar. And, um, <laughs> uh, so I, I think there's like only certain things for me in that world, but I know guys that were like, like there's a comic Luke Younger. I don't know if you know you guys know him, but uh, this guy Luke, he has like every man look, and he's gotten like tons of commercials. My buddy Nick Cobb. I don't know if you ever met Nick. Mm. Nick gets tons of commercials. Oh, Nick I think Cobb. Just, yeah, you he used to yeah. be in. You know, he moved out to San Diego. I think. No, LA. He's in LA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he moved out there a, a few years ago. I remember Nick. Yeah, he was he's been he had been there for a while, but but uh, I still talk to him. So, but I know for a fact, like he gets a lot of auditions. He books a lot of stuff. I think it's because it's like. He's also really, really funny, but it's like, oh, I think it just had that's a certain look of like the every guy. So the new plan now is like what everybody's doing. I think that there's, you know, the 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 diversity, there's a diversity course correction going on. So I think that's affecting things as far as like white dudes getting auditions. That does happen. It's not just made up. So I think that like lessens everything a little bit. So you have to kind of like, uh, you know, course correct. And uh, I'm trying to do podcasting and a YouTube channel and all that, you know, so that's like kind of the new plan. But yeah, if I was able to able to get on a show like that, man, you just tuck that money away if it lasts uh, for a little bit and then kind of go from there, I guess. That would be the plan. But it's such a crapshoot, you know? It's like a natural progression, I think, for comedians to go into commercials because think about who writes these commercials, right? It's mm. usually like these ad guys. And, you know, I think comedians are better writers than, than ad guys. So, like, when you go in for the audition, you mean the thing that you need to really, like, focus on is – you know, getting the name of the product, you know, there's usually like one or two things that they really want you to do. You don't really have to stick to the script. It's not like when you're uh, reading for a movie or a TV show where it's a writer and he wants his words the way they're supposed to be done. You know, you have a lot more time room to, to kind of like, like I said, improv and yeah. just get that part. And like, you're naturally funny, like, you know, so 
I think you have kind of like a little more of an advantage uh, than a, a regular actor in that world. I think you're right. Uh, they did on that set. He did. The, the director was a nice guy, but he would do that thing where he goes, you guys just go and you riff. And then me and the other actor were trying to do that. And he would kind of be shouting out lines from the back. And then we, at one point we were like, hey, man, do you want us to keep going or do you want to just tell us what you want us to do? And then they do have a line supervisor, a script supervisor there. So if you do riff, you have they have to take it back sometimes and go, what did you say here, here and here? She has to keep track of it, I guess, on paper as they're filming it. So, yeah, you do. have They do want you to, to like improv, which we did, uh, which a couple of things from the actual finished product of that commercial were improv. But there's still kind of a structure to it with the like, oh, we have to say the thing again so that she can jot it down or whatever. So, yeah, but, but I, you know, that was like the first, I, I did like voiceover on something else and I did like an online thing once, but that was the first like only and only real commercial that I did. So it was like a really, really new experience for me. Yeah. I got a friend out in LA I went to like grammar school and high school with who I didn't realize how much like money there is to be made doing voiceover work and, and things of that nature. And he was the guy who did all those pistachio commercials. Oh yeah. With the, came with out that- like, the like, brand, it, the bag, yeah. Or the, yeah, 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 yeah. Every single one of them. Like then, I found out he was like doing a lot of stuff with like World of Warcraft and like all these like video games and shit like that. And then I just happened to go on Twitter or Facebook or those things, and I saw he had like nine hundred fifty thousand followers. And I was Whoa, like, really? Jesus wow. Christ! For you know? voiceover stuff, yeah. And I was like wow. talking to a friend of mine about. I mentioned something about a friend of mine and. uh he's like a real gamer nerd or whatever. And like the, my friend posted, like commented on something. He goes, how the hell do you know him? I'm like, oh, I've known him for 35 years. <laughs> dude, he's a voiceover legend. I'm like, I don't know. He's the fucking dude jumped off my goddamn garage when I was growing up. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. There's a yeah. lot of money out there, man. Uh, oh my God. It's a ton. And the voiceover world, that's another one where it's like, you get thrown into that. Uh, I've done a couple of those gigs. I did one for mobile and it was just a radio thing. And I thought it was just going to be like one of those. There's some of them. You don't make that much. You make like a few grand and then that's it, whatever it is. But this one I did it and I was getting paid a few grand every, like every two months for like a year. It was like, actually it was out of nowhere. I was like, Oh, I didn't realize it was actually a really cool commercial. Commercial it was for some mobile one or something. Residuals Mo- are pretty cool, aren't they? Sean? Oh my god, yeah. And uh, it was with uh, this guy who was an actual monster truck announcer. It was the other guy in the commercial. So he was like, I was dying to ask him to do my voicemail on my phone, but I didn't do it. But uh, <laughs> that world—that's another one where it's like you get a steady gig there. Whole, you're set. Like that's oh, yeah. that bankrolls you. Yeah. Well, I also heard that like a lot of people are getting pissed off in the voiceover world because like I guess celebrities are realizing now it's really, really easy money. Like if you look on any commercial now, you hear John Cena. John Cena does every goddamn commercial that you can imagine. It's like, all right, great. Now you've made $50 million wrestling. You made $100 million doing freaking uh, movies. Now you can make another 10, 20 million doing fucking voiceover work on top of it. Yeah, just taking jobs away from people. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great gig though. If you think about it, you just do it in your house. Set up a free closet. yeah, that's like the Simpsons people. They all have, they've been doing it for 20, 30 years and they all have their own like world-class studios in their house. So they're just, I guess they're just sent the stuff. They record it, send it in and that's it. They're making, I don't know. They, they got to at least be making $10 million a year a piece. Oh, I guess, easy. You know? easy. You know, that's, another, that, that's like a dream gig. Another oh. good world to go into is, I don't know if you've ever uh, auditioned or have ever done any like in-house industrial uh, films. And that no. bit, yeah, like that would be like training videos, things like when you go into stores and you see like they'll have videos up in the store 
uh, in hospitals. I did something for Northwell uh, Hospital um, a couple of years ago, and I, I got to film it actually in Aruba. You know, so That's I mean, pretty great. Yeah, it, it pays. It pays good. I mean, it doesn't really do much for high profile in your career, but I mean, as far as making money and keeping like the chains moving, and you know, just like get, getting that on camera experience. I mean, that they're, they're they're great vehicles to use. Yeah, it's it's absolutely a great avenue to go down. And and I've had like I did one. It was an online thing for Chevrolet when was, when the the uh, Lego Batman was coming out, and it was like Lego Batman was leading a focus group about the new Chevy Tahoe or whatever it was. And that was fun. Like I've done a few of them, and it's like, oh yeah, it's a good little chunk of change. But when you get like what you're talking about, like those video game things, and then you're in that world, and we bounce around from gig to gig. It's like life changing money. Yeah, it's like insane. Time. Sean, you have a pretty impressive like comedy resume as Thanks. it is, man. I mean, it, it, oh. listen, <laughs> you, you've done Letterman, you've done uh, Conan, the last comic standing, the Tonight Show with Fallon. Let me let me ask how how nervous do you get before you actually get on these shows, and how often do you run um, your set? You run your the last one I did, and it was the first thing I did in a while was the Tonight Show, and that was like a month ago. And I found out four days before I did it, and I ran it like three times a night before I went up, pretty much. Uh, I didn't run the, didn't run the set the whole time, but I did make sure to do like a bunch of sets the the the, the four days before because it was so like I I was emailing with the guy and he he knew the set, but I didn't know that I actually was going to do it until the Tuesday before I did it. Um, I like it gets increasingly, I get increasingly less nervous. So, uh, and from the Letterman, I was super, super nervous. Like I that was, was like, the first one you did, right? First, yeah. Well, the first, first one I did was the first one I did was, um, uh, Adam Devine's house party, which I was also really nervous for. And that was, that was like kind of a different set. That wasn't like a late night thing. That was like your, there was a house party. That was the name of the show. And, um, so that one was kind of, I, I was still nervous because it was a TV thing. It was a big deal. It was like, this was like 10 years ago or something like that. And then uh, Letterman was technically after that, uh, but it aired before because they taped Divine, you know, and then they aired it like, you know, three months, four months later. So Letterman really nervous. And then every late night set since then, uh, I've gotten less and less nervous. So Conan a little bit less nervous. Colbert was actually the best scenario because I already did a couple, and also they did it where they do like a showcase show setup. I heard where they, about this that. This is yeah. how they, these late night shows. Some of them do. Because I think I think Ferguson used to do it, where they don't they come in on Friday or something, and then they'll just tape a bunch of comics and plug in the sets where they need it, and they must play the tape the night of whatever That's show right. they put it on. So, but. It sucks. If it was my first one, I'd be bummed because some of the people that were on the showcase, it was like their first and they were like, ah, I think they thought he was going to be there. And that is, I'd be bummed too. But I'll be honest, like as far as comedy goes, it's perfect because like Paul Mercurio was hosting it and then it's just like, I don't know, six or seven comics and I went up like third or fourth. So it just feels like you're in a stand-up show at a theater. Like it doesn't even feel is there like, an audience? like the pressure of a late night show. What? Is there an audience? There's Yeah, there's an audience. And what I was worried about, which I asked them, I go, do they know that they're coming just to see standups. Like how disappointing are they getting barked off the street going, Hey, you want to see Colbert? And they just <laughs> yeah, show right. up and it's, it's Donnelly and a bunch of, <laughs> bunch of comics just going up and doing their sets and like, where's the famous guy? Like, where's the, where's the guy? <laughs> so 
uh, yeah, that was actually ideal uh, comedy wise, but you don't get the full like late night show experience. So I, and then tonight show, I was still, you're still, I think anything like that, you're, it beca- you become more like um, just not anxious, like ramp, like ramped up more than like, ner- I wasn't really nervous. I was just like, and then at tonight show, they had me go for the, for the, uh, and nobody ever did this. And it's such a smart idea before the hand you go and you run the, when they're doing the sound check and the lighting stuff, they're like, the booker was like, do your set during that. And that actually helped me because there was nobody there. It was like two, two producers and the cameraman. And I'm like, oh, if I get anything from them, I, I'll feel okay about the set. And I got, and then once I got a couple of pops, I was like, okay, I'm not as nervous as I was when I got here. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's like increasingly you get more used to it. You know, it's like that kind of thing. But I think with TV, you're like, especially with a late night set, you're still like, well, I don't want to screw this up. You know, like, you sure. know, so you still have that, that thing in the back of your head. I think the last time standing was also like a theater show thing, right? And then they and you never know what they're going to air or if they're going to air it at all. And on the last comic standing, they only aired like one joke, so that's like. But I wasn't even nervous next. It was that was kind of just like a party theater setup, uh, and it was a fun audience. But it's still you still are you know beforehand you're just in your head like any like big set you have even without TV set where you're like you're you know, I pace like a maniac before any big set. So, hmm. I remember like when you did. Uh, Letterman. I remember being really excited for you and everything, right? Oh, and, and and just like see, but like seeing you around, like you know, and seeing you around New York. I mean, you're the guy who always wears like jeans and the and a and a flannel and a, and a baseball cap. Now yeah. you're on Letterman, and that's the first time <laughs> I ever seen you look like respectable. You know, it, 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 it looked like that's you were funny. coming from court. Okay, How, so now let's put that in perspective. You're doing your first real big, I mean, it's Letterman. It's legendary, okay? Yeah. And so, you, you know, the nervous train is hyped a little bit more. And yeah. now you have to put Sean Donnelly in a suit. In a suit, yeah. Yeah, um, that definitely added to it. And then what didn't help was that the mic pack they gave me, they put behind my tie. So uh, it, it was it was moving the tie over. It was the, the, the wire was pulling the tie towards my pocket. And I was kind of bugging out about that a little bit. So I went up naturally to the sound guy. And I was like, hey, can we do something about the pack? Because it's pulling my tie over and it looks crooked. And he, he, all he does is just takes his hand and tries to push the tie back to normal. And it goes back. And he's like, I don't know. And I'm like, all right, man, thanks for your help. That, that is the biggest moment of my life to this thus far. So uh, I do the set. The set goes pretty well. Uh, Letterman comes up at the end and fixes the tie. He sees, he literally, <laughs> when he says hello, he's he's like, ah, oh, good job. And then fixing the actual tie, you know? Uh-huh. So that was kind of funny. It was kind of a weird, unique moment. But uh, yeah, me in a suit, like I don't have the type of vibe that I should be in. A, if you see me in a suit, you're probably thinking like, where's the funeral? Like I don't, I'm not a suit guy by any means. I don't think I give off that vibe. So yes, it was, it was the first time I've dressed respectfully. I, I hate doing it too, man. I'm on the same comedy. way. I'm like jeans and just a, a button down. I, I remember yeah. one, one week I had to work to Borgata for a week and I'm working with uh, Greg Morton. I don't know if you ever know who he is. He's like a road I comic. I think I've met him like a couple of times. Yeah. Funny, funny guy does a lot of impersonations and stuff like that. And like the first night, like I, you know, you have to wear a jacket every night there, which is a pain in the ass to begin with. But like the first time I'm there, I'm wearing like jeans and like my, my Converse. And the next night I'm like, 
you know, I'm going to get really dressed up for this show. I had like family there and stuff. And I put the jacket on, I put these like boots on that had like no traction underneath. And Greg asked me to help him with his last bit. It's like the last bit is like doing this James Brown thing. Like he runs out and throw the cape on him and he runs back out. I throw the cape on him again. And the third time I got to drag him out. And now mind you, there's probably I mean, music box holds like, I think 900 or a thousand people. There's a good 800 people there. I mean, there it's fucking, yeah. it's full. It's full. It's packed. Yeah. And the last time I'm, I'm, the first night I drag him out. No big deal. I got my sneakers on second night. I got these boots on and I'm dragging him out off the stage and I feel myself going down. I'm like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm, I'm falling. Like, cause I had, <laughs> I had no traction. And then I got right to the curtain and I went down and I grabbed, I had Greg on my arms and I brought him down with me. Oh, no. And my family's like, all you saw is my fat little feet in the air from the side of the curtain like this. And he, he jumps up. He goes, bro, that was fantastic. He goes, can you do that again tomorrow? I'm like, you know, no. that wasn't planned. Right? <laughs> like no fat guy ever plans on falling number one. And then never, never plans on falling in front of two like, fucking 800 people on top of all of that. Yeah. And never again. I never got dressed That's up again funny. on stage ever. What, what, what I love about Sean is, you know, Sean Donnelly here is, um, you had this joke early on, and this is what was going through my mind when I was watching you on that Letterman set. Is uh, do you remember the thing was one of your opening jokes? Is like uh, you've been here before. You're the guy. You know, you're the guy who delivered the beer. Right. Yeah. Right. And and yeah, he, that, that's yeah, the opening joke was yeah, manual labor face. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it's it's such a complete uh, departure of for you to you know to to uh, wore the suit. But um, one thing also is how long does it take you to get down a bit to like say hey this is going to be my TV five and like you know this is what I feel comfortable going forward with. I uh, it's oh it's for me I. <laughs> I don't write as much as I should. I wish I was more diligent with that. I've been trying to get better. So for me, it's whatever works together. So it's whatever is working best. That's the newest that I have going on. And then when, if I know I'm going to attempt the late night set, I string it together the best way possible. And if I can get that order down and it works, uh, that whole process, like this past one, because uh, I contacted him and I thought I would get it would take a little while, but I kind of knew the guy. So he, right away, he was like, yeah, send me a tape. So I was like, oh, OK, let me. So I rushed it. A fair, so it was like a week or two of me working on it. And then he was like, can you send me a transcript of what it would be? So I threw it together and I connected it there. So I'm like way better on the fly than I am like molding the set. And then as far as bits go, I'm the type where I'm like, I, I hate the fact that I do this. I, I'll. That's why I have so many short jokes because I go until the laugh comes and I'm like, okay, that one's done. How about the next one? Like, it's like that kind of thing. So the way I have to construct it is like this kind of works. So uh, a bunch of tiny, I had on this past that I had a bunch of tiny jokes of stuff that happened this year. So the year is what kind of put together the set. So the whole set put together is probably the, the prior like six months because I don't write enough. Like it's not like super new. So to make the whole set, each joke is like different and it changes as it goes and I'll add and take away and forget. So, but as far as like that, the late night set went for the last one, that was about six months put together. And the first one I did was a while because it was like a bunch of my best jokes in the prior, like, I don't know, four years or whatever it was. Cause I hadn't done any late night set. So I kind of was like relying on that same, cause I think when you start in New York, uh, cause I started here you're worried about you have a rude awakening when you start going on the road because you learn how to like kind of master the five minute set. You can kill for five minutes. And that's why it lends itself so well to late night sets. Um, but 
when then when you go on the road, you're like, oh, not that you don't have the other material, but you're like, oh, I didn't. I'm only doing tops, especially your first five years into comedy. I'm only doing like 10 minute sets. So I don't have the time where I'm like, I can stretch out and I can, it's a 25 minute feature set on the road. And I started doing comedy. I would just do it in the city and I would like do like local road maybe, but not a ton of it. So I, when I started, when I left my day job, that's when I started doing more road. And I realized my New York jokes won't work. And I have to figure out a way to like string all this, these longer sets together instead of just like, uh, these tinier chunks that I was doing beforehand. So I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah, you kind of like, yeah, I've, I've still have that old, I've been doing it 16 years and I still have that mindset. Like, Ooh, I'm working on it five minutes at a time. Hmm. Where, where did you just start? Interesting. I started in the city. I, I, I was you from, from I wanted to start. I'm from Long Island. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I wanted to start, I was going to maybe start in Long Island, but I, I never had the ball. I didn't start till I was 28. Uh, I didn't, oh, wow. I wanted to, since I was like for a long time, since I was like 20, I was like, I want to do this. And I was like, just didn't have the balls. And then the closest I got to doing it at Long Island, I walked into a open mic, saw everybody writing the notebooks and just like got freaked out and walked right out and didn't start for like four years after that. Oh shit! Uh, so I started at a, a, a at a, uh, an open mic called at Maui taco on like fifth Avenue and 32nd street. It was like a, a Maui Hawaii themed taco place that was around the corner from a show that I used to help out with. And I just like hand out flyers and not go up. It was like the dumbest thing. It was Joe DeVito's uh, show at Jack Dempsey's and Joe, I credit him being the reason that I do stand up because we're one of them because he told me I was already there helping out with the show. And he goes, Hey, I think when the show starts, he's like, I don't know if you know, this is an open mic around the corner at the taco place. You should go check it out. And if you, if you think you can do it, you should go the next week and do it. So I was there anyway, every week. So Joe is like a big reason about why I do comedy. Oh, wow. Awesome. I, I, I never even knew that. I didn't, that's an interesting connection there. With Do you remember the first time you got actually got paid to do comedy? Yeah, I think it was one of those road things I just spoke about. I, with Nick Cobb, who's a good buddy of mine, he was the one who got me all my first road things. And I think it was like we did, I, I think the first set I got paid for, and it was outside New York, was a joint bachelor bachelorette party. It might've been in like Jersey somewhere or somewhere not far from here, but like, uh, but definitely a ride. And instead of that, I think they were older, they were getting married. They weren't going to have like the, the separate parties. So they had me and him and I had to do a half hour. And, oh, I, and I don't think I had a time. I think it was like three or four years in the comedy. And Nick was like, you can do a half hour. I'm like, sure. And we did it. And I think that was the very first time I got paid for comedy. And I think I probably it, made like a hundred bucks or something. And how did it go? It went really well, actually. I I will say I I re I remember that being I remember being I talk about nervous. I was like so nervous, and uh, I remember thinking, okay, that actually went really well. It was a fun. It was a fun night. They but they were it was them. They were good. You know, I was I was you know four years in the comedy. You're like you're, you're whatever. You're like okay. It's like you know. But I yeah, like exactly. definitely remember them being so nice that you could like go with it. You know, but that was like Jesus. That was like how many years ago? Twelve years. So you were in comedy for four years before you got paid. Before you got paid. Yeah. Anything? Wow. Because I was, I didn't go in through the clubs. I would do a lot of bar shows and stuff in the city. I had a day job. I used to work at an insurance company doing like facility stuff. And that, and then I would leave at five and then go to spots until 10 open mics and then bar shows or shows in Brooklyn and stuff like that. And then I uh, started running my own shows and then ran one at a club called comics downstairs mm -hmm. in this place called Ochi's. And all that was like free, free, free. We would run a free show on Saturday. So I didn't get paid 
in the city for a while or on the road for a while. Cause I was like, I had that day job. I didn't, I, I, I wouldn't be able to pay my rent if I was relying on just oh, comedy yeah. at that point. Like, you know, you, yeah, same I thing. think a lot of guys you meet on the road, they're like, their rent is like 600 bucks, 500 bucks. So they're like, yeah, I can just go feature places and, and, and get my rent in two weeks, you know, whatever it is. But, um, I couldn't do that because even back then when my rent wasn't that bad, cause this is, you know, 15, 16 years ago, uh, I still, it still wasn't enough. I, and I didn't have the connections. I didn't have like the ins of clubs. And then I think I got, because of the girl from comics, uh, this girl, Kim, who doesn't work in comedy anymore. I got into stand up New York and then from stand up New York, got into the stand. And then because of stand also because of stand up New York and one of the, one of their shows, that's when I got in the hosting at the cellar and stuff like that. So clubs came later. I was doing a lot of, a lot of bar, a lot of bar shows. I also remember Sean, I also remember you, were because I, I saw it on television. Um, you were in the final four at Caroline's. Yeah. And I, yeah. was that the year that Adam Newman won? Yes, it was. Yeah, right. And and who 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 were the other uh people? You, uh Adam Newman. Who else was that? I remember uh, everyone everyone wound up doing really well. It might have been Kevin Barnett. I forget. I actually forget. It was a really fun show. Um I forget who the other people. It was so long ago. I forget who the other people. I, but I know it was Adam because it was me and Adam versus each other in the in the and the in the uh, the last in the, la- in the on that night on the finals night. The one year that I did well in it, it was it was COVID and they and they, they they stopped the competition. Oh, get out of here! <laughs> oh, yeah, it's March. Yeah, I was oh going, my god! Yeah, so I, was, was, I was going to uh, the Sweet Sixteen. Are they bringing it back? I don't know. I mean. Ray Gooch used to run it, and then they think they tried to get Linda Smith, and you know they they, they didn't bring it back this year. That's for sure. I know it'd be a weird thing where you you would have <laughs> agents, and then people on it were represented by agents were judging it, and the the agents that were judging it, their, their clients were on it. It's so stupid. <laughs> it was it was, it was, a, it was a, a conflict of interest. A lot of I feel a lot like of the I'm time, like the odd know? person. I'm like the odd person out in this show because I I don't do city spots a lot. Like Jeff will attest to this. I don't ever. I mean, if I do them twice a year, it's a lot. And my path oh, was okay. so different. My path was so different on comedy. I was on the road like five months in. I was hosting you know, for like a year and a half, two years on the road. Yeah. And then, and then got stuck in feature hell for like, you know, seven or eight years, you know, until like, you know, finally people were starting to give me the bump up to, to close and stuff. But like, if I do a show in the city, like I'll they, oh, do seven minutes. I don't know what to do. Right. Right. Like, that's, you're, that's, that's what I'm saying. like that's yeah. very yeah. hard. I don't know. What, like even the other night I did a show in Asbury park and I was closing it and it was very different things. So it was a bar show. And I haven't done a bar show in years, but it was like, it was so noisy and it was so like different from anything I've been doing for so long. I just, I threw the material out. I was just doing crowd work for like 40 minutes. Yeah. But I, yeah. Even then I'm looking at my watch going like, I'm just getting warmed up and it was like 30 minutes in and I was like, shit, I got to wrap this up. So right, my, right. my path is a little different. Well, it's like, um, I think that's the, that's the two sides of this thing. I think the same way that, you know, uh, there's a lot of people who just stay in the city and and like you don't really learn how to do this fully unless you're doing both sides of it. So, yeah, I get it. So yeah, it's like the same way that I was like when I started doing the longer sets, I was like, oh wow, okay, this is a new thing to learn. It's the same way that you come off the road, and you're like, oh, five minutes. That's like me just riffing in the beginning of the set because I have to fill the time. So you have a different like muscle with it, I think. But um, but yeah, but also what I feel like what you just described is like one of those man, those bar shows that can be like complete ambush or like where they just 
there's nobody policing anything. Uh, and it's just brutal. And it's like, yeah, all you, that's just a survival tactic. I've done that a million times where uh, you're doing the whole thing crowd work. Cause you're like, well, this is the only way I'm going to get you to pay attention. And then you either, you either just go with that or you try to sneak stuff in in the middle of it or you, and I've gotten, I, I you know what I hate about those is like, I hate the idea. I think that the, the, the set should be selfish. I think when I've hosted a lot in my career and I think that's the selfless part of stand up. And I think that this, if you're hosting a show, I think you should not that you're not going to do your jokes and maybe try something new, maybe, but I mean, you should kind of lend yourself to making the show better by doing the correct job of hosting. Absolutely. And I think if you're doing a set, you have, you should have that. The, a show should always set you up for the luxury that, that you're going to listen to me because I, it's, it's about me too. It's not just about you. It's like, I want to get out when I want to get out. And I, I yeah. used to be where I'm like, Oh my God, I have to crush every second of every, like I was afraid of silence. I was afraid of all this stuff. And only fairly recently have I been like, okay, let me do something for me and not worry about it. And uh, like, you know, do the, the, the yeah. peaks and the valleys. Kind of thing. I feel the same way. I'm, I'm just in that comfortable zone now where I don't feel like I have to be on a script every single yeah. night. Like I'll I'll write out like where I want to kind of go and like I have a new joke I'm gonna pepper it in here. Like the other night I did a new joke I did not think it was gonna. I, I had no form to it. I just had the the idea, and I went out and like even at this bar show I tried it and it got a fucking roar. I'm like, oh my god, this is the greatest fuck. Like sometimes you get caught up in the monotony of the show where like, you know, if you know, you're going to host, you know, you're going to mill, you know, you're going to feature. And like, you kind of had that whole mindset of where you're going to go. And I kind of threw that away the other night and it felt good. Like it was kind of like just getting out of my comfort zone a little bit. Yeah. I yeah, love definitely. it. I loved it, man. I lo- like now, now I'm in a weird, I'm in a, a very weird spot right now because uh, I was one of those guys who taped stuff way too early like i was like i think it was like a year in i'm like hey i'm recording my first cd and like people are like look at me like what the fuck are you talking about you know and of course it was <laughs> atrocious you know and i did like two of them and i never put them out but now i'm ready to tape my hour and okay. i don't know what i want to do yet because you know i've been doing like for the last three months every show i'm doing i write out a different depending on how long i'm doing whether it's 20 30 45 an hour whatever i'm writing out a different set and I have over two hours of material and I have no idea what I want to do on this hour. This I is good therapy no for you, Sean. Why is it therapy? You're talking it out. We're going we're fi- to we're figure it out. We're going to figure out where you're going to go in your career. Your therapist cut off the out. fucking patients too when they're talking though? Is, <laughs> yeah. that, what, is that what they do? <laughs> fucking prick. Well, but, uh, but, but you do, it, you say you don't do that many spots. I think uh right you said you only do a couple spots a year or something yeah, i don't ever work in the city like i mean i'm in the forest oh, you, you meant the city you didn't mean outside the city no i mean i'm i never work in the city like i very very rarely like i was past the car i'm not not carolines at danger fields that's fucking done you know it's so like I'm, i don't have that luxury of just popping in anywhere like you know jeff works fucking five nights a week in the city you know right, what i mean right. so he, he can do whatever he wants so like i kind of have to wait towards the weekend to try out the new shit and it sometimes it sucks but sometimes it's uh it works out well but that's kind of what it is it's like better than not doing that like i think it's yeah, uh, yeah i think that i think you definitely pay, you know i think paring it down is yeah it's always hard to do that if you have so many thoughts but i think it's also um it's good it got like it's going to sound fresh to you because you, you you're excited about it because a lot of it sounds new so that's like i think that's that's what somebody else was telling me that they're like, oh, even if it's like you're doing, I've tried to do that recently too, where it's like, even if it's a joke you've been doing for a while, if you can say it a different way or something like that, if, uh, like you yeah. throw in an extra word so that it doesn't, because I think there really is an unspoken thing that happens with the crowd where uh, they can, 
like on a molecular level tell that you are hating telling a certain joke because it's so old. But I think they're just catching a vibe off you that you don't, you don't even know you're giving yeah, off. Yeah, I, I get so, that a lot. Dude, I have one joke that like I, I keep saying my niece turned just turned 18. I'm like, what? She's fucking 31 now. Like I really, <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta stop doing <laughs> yeah. jokes. But it's one of those jokes like, you know, like yeah. if you're having like a mediocre set, and like, you know, it's not going as well as you want. I will bring that joke out because I, I get an applause break every fucking time I right, do this right. joke. So it's kind of like stroking your own ego a little bit too. But then like, you don't want to, cause you want to do other shit on top of it. It's, it's the weirdest fucking job we have in the world. <laughs> yes, in the world. Yes. I look at the, um, yeah. the work ethic of uh, certain comics and Sean, you're, I put you in that category of guys like Mike Lawrence and Dan St. Germain, Anthony DeVito. Um, and the thing that comes back to you is uh, I remember you used to host the open mic at the stand when it was on third Avenue. Uh, did I do that? You when it you were the first open mic host, and you were oh. already kind of you were already kind of like an established uh, comedian. And I look I, when I look at guys like like yourself, and like I said, like Mike Mike Lawrence, who would be like doing three shows at Greenwich, and then I remember uh, running the room at uh, at Village Lantern, and he would come over. He's like, "Hey, can I get on for five? It's like, man, you yeah. only got three spots, but you're going to come over. And yeah. then, like, I would see him during the week was on, uh, I think it was on either Mondays or Thursdays. I was also running the mic at uh, McSwiggins. Uh, it was Mondays at McSwiggins. And yeah. I would see, you know, everybody would come in there, like like Greg Stone and James Madden and Dan. And, the, and like, I'm like, these guys, man, they're on the road and they're like real comics, but they didn't have ego. You know, it was just about getting the reps in and working, getting the sets in. And that, you know, that is something I think like every young comic that takes stage time for granted needs to see. Um, yeah, I think that's definitely a good attribute to have. I think the whole idea, I think it also, you know, I think stand up is different than I think you have show business. And I think you have stand up uh, uh, as a separate entity. I think that stand up is like the street fight level of this business. And that's why you, if you're going to find any, you're going to find the most humble people, you're going to find a lot of people who are up their own asses, but you're going to find a, a lot of humble people that are just trying to do the work and have it do it for the love of doing it, even though that can be really hard to deal with. The, there's so much rejection and so much bullshit that accompanies it. At least you have the moments of being on the stage and, and like doing something that 99% of the population won't do. And it's like the stand up's the thing I've been, you know, before I did stand up, I wasn't, I was doing like these bullshit jobs. It's the thing I've been the most successful at. So I'm like excited about that. But like the flip side of it is it's a, you're constantly chasing that that white whale of like, oh, I just want to get better. I just want to get better at this. And the ones, to be honest, the ones who aren't doing that, from what you from what you can notice is like they, they kind. If you don't have a, a bit of self awareness in this thing, you kind of become bad at it. And I've seen it happen. And you see guys fall off and quit, or a lot of guys quit and then come back. And it, so it's like, it's 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 like an ever changing thing. Uh, the way the business is now is so different. It's kind of discouraging for some people that like. So I could see people getting nutsy about that, but like. I think it's, just, I think, but as at its core, I think it's, it's like, it's a pretty pure, I think it's the last meritocracy in show business is, is an actual live stand up show. Like, you really, you think so? Well, a live uh, stand up show, a not, live not advancement show. career, not advancement career, not show right. business. Like, like the, like, because then there'd be I, no explaining Hannah Gatsby. 
Uh, right, right. But no, but I mean, like when you had that story about Seinfeld, the, the show had just ended. Uh, and, and it was, it was the, one of the biggest stars on the planet, which he still kind of is. He's like a house, you know, he's, he's just part of the fabric of pop culture. But like, um, and apparently there's a story that he went to Gotham and they gave him they gave him five minutes of grace to just kind of talk off the top of his head. And then the, and then they were like they were like so excited, laughing. And the minute that five minute mark, they're like, OK, now make us laugh. The biggest <laughs> the biggest show in the world. And he didn't he couldn't get 10 minutes of him just bullshit. And so it's like, yeah, when you you kind of have to deliver uh, or you kind of just get I think, you know, I think it's very evident if you're if you like what what you what your mindset is in comedy you know I, it, it, there's so many moments i think people have their own ideas of what this is but like they how you do on stage matters and and there was a, a long time ago I, I did a show i bombed so badly two days in a row i used to i used to bark for the village lantern it was colin kane's show at the village lantern mm. and it actually wasn't a bad gig for barkers because he would go off for like a half hour and some of the people thought the show was done and would leave, but like 25 people would stick around and you'd bark for an hour and get like five minutes in front of a real crowd. I was like five or six months into comedy. And I remember one night I bombed so bad that <laughs> this guy just said to his friend next to him, he was like, this guy stinks. He just said it like quietly. <laughs> like he wasn't heckling at all. He was just, he was trying to be polite and tell his friend, but it was so quiet in there. I heard it and people, <laughs> it was like so bad. So the next, I bombed that, that night. What did it crush it? Did it? Oh, did, no, did it laugh? No, people just like heard him and were like, No, do you know? Oh. Were, were, were you crushed inside? Were you like, Oh, fuck, how do I come? Oh, back yeah, I was devastated. I don't know how I kept going. And then the next night, <laughs> same thing, it was a bad bomb. And the other barker comes up to me and he's like, Good set, man. I'm like, What are you talking about? Just <laughs> dick. And he's like, He's like, He's like, No, but that's what comedy's about. It's about bombing. I'm like, No, it's not. Like, it's, no, it's not. It's not about bombing. You bomb, it's part of it, but it's not about that's not your want, not your desired result, you maniac. So I think. I think there's some people get into this and then they decide it's very easy early on to decide that, Hey, I got, I figured this out, which everybody does. It's a certain level. I think. I, I think one of the worst feelings I ever had is like when you do it, when you're on the road and like you're doing like these clubs on the road and then at, towards the end of the show, they make you stand outside and like say the, you do the shake hands of all the people that are walking out and stuff like that. Or like the headliners selling merch and like, the, like I'm middle leg at this point and they go up the headliners right at the end. Like, Oh my God, great set. It was so fantastic. That's awesome. goes up to the host. Wow. You did great. And they look at you and they go, and they just keep walking past you and not say a word to you. That happened once in Hartford. I swear to God, I almost bailed Hartford, on the second yep. show. I almost bailed on the second show. That's how fucking defeated yeah. I felt after that. And it was, I didn't even bomb. Like I, I, I didn't do great, but like, it wasn't like one of those fucking like that fart that just hangs and lingers. It wasn't one of those. Yeah. Which I was just in my own head. And yeah. man, they can fuck you up, dude. They can uh, fuck you up, crowds. And 100. percent I've I've oh. had it where I've been on that. I've been same exact situation. But the, the guy didn't. He didn't say anything. He didn't say nothing. He went, "Have a good night, man." Like he was like, "You yeah. were amazing. You're the best comic I've ever seen." It's, Have a good night, man. <laughs> like that. Like, yeah, and uh, I, I'm at the point now. If you don't say anything to me, that's fine. Or you say, "Have a good night," and it's fairly innocuous. I, if you say something shitty to me after a show because you didn't like it, I will make it as uncomfortable for you as possible. I'm at that oh, point. I, I, used just, so, yeah. I used to just glad hand it and go, all right, thank you for coming. And now 
I will full on fight you. I'll, I'm like, I'll fight you. I'll fight you. Like, why, why can you make me feel uncomfortable? I can't make you feel uncomfortable back. And that happened to me in Tampa recently. Some guy, they liked the other comic better. And they, and they went up to him and they were like, we liked him better than you. And I was like, fuck you. Keep going. What a Keep walking. dick thing to say. Oh, yeah. And they look back like smiling. I go, I'm not smiling. I go, fuck you. Take off. Keep I going. fuck with people too all the time. Like but someone, yeah. someone will say to me, like, you know, you know what I would have said? And I'd be like, please don't say that. I just had a, <laughs> I just had a stroke six weeks ago. I forgot my ass. <laughs> and like I'll say fucking horrific shit like that just yeah, to make him good. feel even worse. Oh, yeah. I love it. I go uh, at one time, really quickly, it's kind of related to this. I was in Virginia at a theater. The show didn't even start yet. And they had posters up for the show. And and it was like a small theater in, uh, I forget the area. And it was near Charlottesville, but not Charlottesville. And this couple comes up and they go, you're the guy. And I go, I'm the guy. How are you? This is before the show. And they go, are you funny? You better be funny. Uh, And I was like, I I must have been in a bad mood. I went, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm sorry. And they go, ah, I go, I'm not kidding. I've, I've been doing comedy a month. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm really nervous. Oh my God. I do the same <laughs> shit. I did that like a month ago. Somebody came up to me like, Oh, wow. That was, that was, that was good. I mean, you know, do you get nervous going up there? And like, you know, the other guys were really, really good, but like, you know, do you get nervous? I was like, well, here's the thing. My twin brother is actually Sean. I'm actually John Morton. <laughs> he, has, he has laryngitis, but I've heard his act so many times. I figured, let me just try and kind of bail him out a little bit. <laughs> Parent trap, but for comedy. Oh yeah. I love it. I love fucking That's with funny. People. You know, be- before we wrap this up, cause we- we've been talking here for, for about almost 45 minutes. We haven't even gotten into any music well, yet. You never do. Uh, <laughs> I, I know, but I'm the, the show is called Who's Your Band? And, you know, listen, it was, I could talk to you for another hour, but um, you, you're you a big uh, Van Morrison fan, right? I like Van Morrison a lot. I like, like I, I, I concentrate on early Van Morrison more than the later, but I, I listen to all of it. But no. uh, like Astro Weeks is one of my favorite things in the world. What I what I love about Van Morrison as a songwriter and along with a guy like Bob Seger is they write songs to write good songs, not not to, to write a song to for, with an agenda attached to it, where you know it's to sell records or or or, or to get on 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 the charts. So, you know, they write a good song because because it's a good song. Yeah. Um, you, you know, uh, it, if you kind of follow that, yeah. my wedding song was have i told you lately and and i think probably one of the most beautiful romantic songs ever written by anybody is into the mystic that was my my junior prom theme song (laughs) (laughs) well that's a good memory that you remember that that's crazy i remember much after that but i uh yeah into the mystic is fantastic you know what's so funny is i think it's just be one of my i Van Morrison's in my top five, probably in my top three, if not favorite artist of all time. And, but one of my least favorite songs in the world is Brown Eyed Girl, because I think oh, there stupid. used to be, there was a time where, especially when radio was still kind of a thing where you, it was like live, everybody's listening to radio all the time. You, I probably heard that song about a hundred thousand times in my life. Like you can't, you couldn't escape that song that I got to the point where I, I can't stand it, but I do. He is one of my favorite artists, but I went to a show uh, when I, um, I used to be married. And I think it was before we got married. My wife got tickets uh, to, um, uh, to see him in Connecticut uh, at, at Foxwoods. This is like 10 plus years ago, whatever it was. And 
man oh man is it an old person concert they oh, started eight they're done by 9 30. <laughs> I, I gotta tell you man my two worst experiences in my life for a concert the first one of all time worst show i ever saw in my life was bob dylan it was the worst concert oh, I, I ever heard about saw this. and ha- you know half the crowd left but the, i gotta tell you second worst show i ever saw in my life was van morrison well <laughs> i will say this I love yeah the show itself was actually i he sounded like pitch perfect and i was like that was great but he and he started it and ended it and he was just an old he was sitting on a, a stool the whole time and there was a guy uh, at one point he was doing a solo the guitarist was doing a solo and you could hear van more he's such an old curmudgeon you hear him in the background going come on come on faster come on fast let's go let's go come on fast. like just yelling at the band <laughs> Yeah, like when I saw him, he had just put out, I think it was not a country album, but it was like a very different type of album for him, like maybe 10, 12 years ago. And it was at the theater at MSG. And again, eight o'clock start, no opening band, goes on, plays the whole new record and does, I think, (laughs) Moondance and one other song. And it was an an hour and two minutes he was on stage. And I I was out the door by 9.10. It's so crazy. It was so fucking horrible. I was, I'm looking, I'm like, this, this really just happened. Like, we just spent $300 and this just happened, right? Yeah. Jerry, same thing with Jerry Lee Lewis. I saw my mom has, had a crush on Jerry Lee Lewis for 60 years. I took her to town hall and he starts at eight o'clock. And it's like at 8 35, he's like, I know you want to hear all the old stuff, but I got a new one for you. He plays a new song. I'm like fucking crickets because nobody wants to hear a new Jerry Lee Lewis song in 2014. No. You want to hear great balls of fire and a whole lot of shaking. And he got How is he that no response. What's that? How is he that He's dead, be dead at this point? Right? I, I know he should be dead now, but he got the song out and he maybe got 10 claps and he was like, you don't like the new songs. You ain't getting the old ones." And he got up and he fucking left. <laughs> No, he did. Oh. <laughs> 35 minutes, 8 o'clock to 8.35, and the whole place is looking at you like, what the fuck? Did they turn on the lights? Yes. Like, they waited a good four minutes thinking, like, maybe he's just fucking with people. But then it's like, the lights come on, and this boo. I mean, it's like watching your set and hearing the crowd, Jeff. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's it happens deafening. To me a lot. <laughs> yeah. Deafening. Yeah. I mean, but I, mean, I remember reading a review the next day. He was just like, he lost his mind. He wanted to play a new song. He didn't like the reaction, and he just fucking left. Did people demand no. their money back? I, people yeah. were. They were screaming. But I mean, again, this is like, it was three, $400 I spent on these tickets and oh my 35 God. minutes. They're not oh believe it. God. Yeah, I've had some bad concert experiences. Let me tell you, that's, that's really well, bad. The the uh, the other Van Morrison story that I heard was uh, my friend Colin, who's like from Ireland, and I guess he's from Dublin. I guess Van Morrison must have lived there for a while. They said that when he was a kid, Van Morrison lived right near his school, and they'd be playing soccer on the field, and Van, in the middle of the game, like a full game with a crowd and like a, like a school sanctioned game, he would just walk in the middle of them playing, just, just stroll right in the middle of the field. And they'd have to be like time and then wait for him to go. And then, and then just shuffle along and then, and then, and then pick up with the game. He does look like that old cranky fucking person. He does. He absolutely does. Yeah. I I think I heard the other thing I explained, I don't know if it's him or somebody else that he has stage fright as well. I don't know if he's one of the ones that has stage fright. I never heard heard that that about him. Yeah, I, one of us, somebody does, and I can't remember who. It's somebody around from that time period. But uh, no, but, but but even with all that and all that bullshit, like he is, Astral Weeks is, I, I listen to it on like a, at least once a month all the way through it. It's, it's such it's an a unbelievable record. It's yeah, such it's a, a great record. record. 
And even like he, he's a guy. Well, I know also, I guess they he put out a song. Did he put a song with like with a oh, it was they just put out like a right wing song or something about COVID restrictions. No it's kind of weird. I'm not, I'm not saying and, he's it was like about and, COVID restrictions. Yeah, him like it's uh, it's it's getting too crazy. Like, like it's, it's like loosely based on <laughs> COVID restrictions. But I think it was him and uh and Eric Clapton, not Eric Clapton. Who was it? I forget who it was. Yeah, I think it anyway, might be Eric Clapton. Yeah, because he's Eric against Clapton. Yeah. yeah. But um, but even with all that, it's like the guy is absolutely and like also I'm a huge fan of The Last Waltz. I've watched that about 300 times and his part in last like his version of caravan in the last waltz is first off his outfit is just i don't know if you guys have seen the last waltz yeah a long time oh it's so good i think it's the best concert movie also there's a lot of parallels to stand up in it when they're doing the interviews with them some of the shit they're saying about road stuff and this is like so so similar to, to stand up but um yeah, Van Morrison just comes out in this like way too tight, like half an acrobat looking shirt with a vest on. It's like oh, just an awful 70s outfit. But the version of Caravan, like I'll listen to that one over the other one because it's it's just so perfect. You know, you, you say you didn't like, you know, Brown Eyed Girl is a song that, you know, because FM too Radio played. Yeah. FM Radio killed it. But then there were songs that, F, that FM Radio played that still i i still love i mean like i think a song like wild night jackie wilson said i mean those yep. songs were played a lot on fm radio too and I, they still stood the test of time they do and like you said into the mystics is huge and uh that was yeah i don't get sick of into the mystic you know i i or no. jackie wilson or any of the ones you mentioned no it's just that one i think just sheer numbers uh, the amount of time it was played, I think it was just even yeah. more. I think if you had a chart, if you had a bar graph of how much, how, how much <laughs> from the years of 1980, whatever to 2000 that it was played, it was probably off the charts. Probably insane. Yeah. That's why I, I'm, I, I'm I with Guns N' Roses. Dude. I, I I loathe Paradise, oh, Paradise City. City. Yeah, I, I see that. fucking hate it. I have a Guns yeah. N' Roses flag. Yeah, but you still like the guitar lead in it, Sean? I listen. It's one of those songs that like I just they always close with it. So I'm that guy who leaves right before there, and I'm halfway home before fucking pack, before before the fireworks and like the and the, and the streamers are going down. It's just those things. Like those big artists always have that one. I hate Stairway to Heaven. It's the worst oh, song. No, it's so I just great. Buy Stairway to Heaven. Like I was just listening to Zeppelin yesterday. Fucking great immigrant song and and Cashmere, just brilliant song. Stairway to Heaven next. I, I can't, I can't do it. Even like somewhat like paranoid by Ozzy, like by, by Sabbath. Like I, I'll fast forward for like all the big songs too. I want to hear like the deeper shit. Right. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they can play a little bit more snow blind, the children of the grave on national the, acrobat. Yeah, yeah. Stuff like that. No, a, a, another rated song by Van Morrison, which really never got enough airplay was a song like ballerina. Oh, unbelievable. Great song. Right. Right. Uh, what's the one? The way young lovers do is is fantastic. Uh, the sweet thing is uh, like once again, like it's it's Astro Weeks, but it's just so good. Ballerina is unbelievable. Uh, crazy face. I listen. I I have crazy face on my Spotify now. It pops up in my my on repeat thing uh, for the past three months because I just I won't stop listening to Crazy Face. Um, when you did Letterman, was there a musical act on? No, uh, it was it was who was it? But no, uh, yes, it was MGMT. I think that. Uh, oh wow! I think that was the musical guest, and then it was who was the other guest? Oh, wow, I'm I've been drinking a lot. I'm like losing all my memories. <laughs> I forget who the other. It was an actress was the other guest, and she was very nice. But yeah, I forget who exactly it was. But I think that the it was MGMT was the the band. 
It'd be pretty. It would have been pretty cool if it would have been Van Morrison, wouldn't it? Would you- oh my god, I would have freaked out. Yeah, absolutely. yeah. I watched. I watched I would- SNL from last night, and, and Zoe Kravitz is hosting. Right? Why yeah. would you not get her father to be the fucking musical guest? I I, I, I don't know. That Why? sounds like a That's no-brainer. A Spanish girl on. Uh, and she was singing in Spanish. I had no idea what she was fucking saying the whole goddamn time. Never heard of this girl before. Like, isn't that like a cool moment that you can do? Because they've had. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you why. It's not because it's not for us. That's why. Well, yeah. I mean, they've had bands SNL. on. Like, don't we're have. About, we're about. We're about fifteen years past. This. Dude, like, every time I like, watch, you're like, it, I don't even know like, who she is. I'm like, you aren't supposed to know who she is. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I, I've been very vocal. Is that like my dream was always to write for SNL, and like I take oh, a step God, back yeah. now, and I'm like, forty five. Like, and, you know, I lean a little more right than I do left. There's no way on earth that I'm ever, ever going to work on SNL, ever. You're going to write for Greg Gutfeld. (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah, pretty fucking much. But yeah, I I just think that's what, you know, they have that whole theory about who, the age when you were... Whenever, whatever the, the the cast was when you were fifteen is the one that you think is the best SNL cast. They just are trained. the The whole uh, algorithm of SNL is to just relate to like teenagers. But you think it's this timeless thing because it's such an institution. I think, but there's there they are totally aiming all their comedy at like younger people. I think. oh yeah, and that's why I think it's more like eight years. It's like an eight year swing. Like yeah. you, go, you go through like I I remember like when I was growing up it was always like you know the Mike Myers and Dana Carvey yep. and stuff like that and then there was a whole period where it was kind of like ah wasn't that great and then like the Kristen Wiggs come on and you know then okay boom then it's got a little dead for it now it's like you know uh, fucking Keenan Thompson's been on there for thirty nine fucking years for Christ's yeah, sake yeah 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 you know and you like they, good, I think comedians get that though because you're like hey you saw a good deal and you took it like you're like that, that's oh, a lot of money over yeah, sixteen dude. years of doing why that would show. you leave that I would why never would you leave it. That? Right. I also think like it's it's like it's so much easier. And now I guess he's come, he's leaving now this year or something. Right? Yeah, it's last year. Yeah. And uh, the other thing was is that he like the way it used to be was like you had to leave to do other stuff. Remember all those guys had to leave to do movies like yeah. Farley and all those guys. He he did a sitcom while he was there. Yeah. Like like he did. I guess if you're willing to do the work, they're like, hey, and you know you've been there for so long, and you're Keenan Thompson. I guess you just do that. But the way it used to be was like. It was there was so strict, it seemed like to me. They were like, okay, you leave and you move on to your next thing. But I guess he probably realized it's like a different world out there. So he like him leaving SNL, I think he saw the past, I don't know, seven years at least. It's not guaranteed he'd have this huge, this huge career because movies are kind of done. And if he didn't get a TV show that worked, he kind of could have gone into obscurity. So why not stay and take the paycheck? Yeah. I agree. Like Meadows. Like Tim Meadows, exactly. Same yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, because That's, after he left the brutal, show, what, those what are is he doing? Stories, those, no, ladies, man, ladies, man, that was it. I was gonna say, yeah, like after well, that was he did that while he was on SNL, but after he left SNL, what, what have you really seen him in? Listen, like, not everybody could be on SNL and fuck Kim Kardashian. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. It's become right. It's just this thing. He's where, not even right. on SNL anymore. When was the last time you seen him on SNL? He was in rehab. That's why. Sean, before we let you go, uh, I just wanted to ask you one last thing. Um, since the pandemic, where do you see the direction of this whole business going and how has it changed? I think the way that it's changed is that um, it's a I think the way it's changed is that instead of it being I talked about this a lot with friends and stuff, instead of it being. And it's already, this has already happened. Instead of it just being a certain path that the way it was when we started was that 
you the way I always pictured it was like you're in New York, you start working clubs, you get a late night set, you get a comedy central half hour, you graduate from New York, you move out to LA, you either do stand about there or from the, do the road from out there and maybe get a, a movie thing or, a, or, or, or you sell your own TV show or your own sitcom. And then you go from there, hour special, all that. It was like, it was a more like very, very regimented, like this seems to be the path. A structure. Uh, yeah. Now, because of the advent of, of YouTube and, and, and all the social media stuff, things that I am trying my best at, but I just can't figure it out. I don't know what the thing is. So uh, I have barely any followings on those things. And, um, but it's all DIY. So the thing, the way it used to be was like, remember it was like, if you had an hour special, that was like a crowning achievement. Like the HBO specials were like, holy shit, even as, even as close as, as like a Bill Burr thing or something. Now people, which good for them, people are finding, hey, if I, put my special on YouTube, I can make myself, I can make myself a living off this and another stream, a stream of um, revenue uh, by putting my, uh, my, my cash app up there or, or, you know, having people come out to shows because of Sam it. Rose so, did that. Yeah. So did Norman and all those guys and they had a big fan base and they kind of, they doubled down on that and they had a little bit, you know, so I think it's changed, but I, th- I do think one thing people don't talk about is, is that, you call it you can only be DIY for a certain amount of time. It's so it's so ingrained now that DIY is a path that guys like your Schultz's or your or your your Andrew Schultz or your uh, even a Norman, but they kind of stick to themselves or like your Chris Stefano's or uh, or Santino in L.A. You're I don't think people want to say that, but like you're just industry now, like you're just a different side of the industry, because if those or a Rogan or Rogan would be the biggest example of that. But even that's so much controversy now. It's like whatever. But like which is such so stupid. But like even things like that, it's like, well, you can like a guy like Rogan can pretend he's like, ah, I got this podcast and it took off. It's like, well, you were also on 15 TV shows before that. But yeah. yes, but you're making people's careers your industry. You're just a different side of it in a smaller scale, but you can make somebody's live career easily. You have them on your show 10 times. They're selling out at least a couple of weekends a month. You know what I'm saying? So what'd you say? Yeah. That, and you're a hundred percent correct. I mean, I have, I have a really good friend who's, you know, performed all over the world and was on Marin's show. And that was like the big fucking break, like doing comedy 25 years, having showtime specials and stuff like that. And still working these dingy clubs goes on Marin once boom, blows the fuck up. Yeah. So, yeah. so Sean, the, then, then the next thing is how relevant is doing Colbert now or Kimmel, you know, does that, does that mean anything or you're better off going on like Andrew Schultz's show, which I think is great. Rogan, you know, Marin, like any one of those, which would be better for your career. I think it's, it's, I think it's always worth it to do it, but what it does isn't, it pales in comparison to what it did. Like it, I just did this tonight show thing. I got some gigs from it, but I, there, it wasn't some, it wasn't, it didn't do what even Letterman did way more. Um, it was a different time. It was way different time. And, and, that, uh, and it wasn't even that longer though. You know what That's it's worth now thing. to do because they know everything lives online. It's worth it. You do it. You're promoting it. That'll get you some, that'll get you into the, the, the attention online. And then after it's done, putting clips up, then the clips might get people towards your socials, but the actual 
uh, airing of it when it happens, it, 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 hell, it, the numbers are just not there. And it's just not, it doesn't have that same thing to it because everybody's looking at when they're watching Fallon, they're watching him for his games and they're watching it on YouTube. So the, the, the viewership has changed so drastically that comics, of course, it's worth it because I was like, hey, Tonight Show, of course, like, why wouldn't you? But uh, career wise, I think, yeah, Rogan, Rogan to me seems like the modern version of what Carson used to do for people, or maybe not now as much since he moved to Spotify, but still strong. Like you're on that show. You have millions upon millions of people hearing you and, and hearing your information and listening to you. So I think that definitely, definitely, definitely does, does better for, for comedians, those things, but it doesn't mean that I would do tonight's show 10 more times if I had the opportunity. It just, of course. I think I still, I actually had an idea for a, show that I wanted to do where it was like only late night sets because I was like I think the art of the late night set is a thing that's going to go away because people are just watching one minute clips on Instagram but I you love the idea the late like, night show itself is going to go away I think it probably will but or it'll be in different format I think Fallon it's changed so much it, now yeah it's changed so much now like Fallon the way he changed it is what it's going to be and then even kind of it'll probably mutate from there if I had to guess but I think none of these shows do so, great in the ratings by the way no no so that's why they have to like, they're getting killed by cable news. I mean, Gutfeld's number one. Yeah. How crazy is that? I actually makes sense to me because if you think Why about it, who's who's watching live TV? It's older people. And then if you do watch Colbert, and I, I always liked Colbert, but if you watch that show, he's very vocal about his politics. So I could see. Why people are like, I can't watch this. I'm going to watch the, the, the guy. Now they have a comedy show on my news channel. I watch all day. I'm watching that. And there's yeah. people that like are parents aging younger, like about 10 years younger, that are 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 doing it. And that's the ones who watch live TV. That's why the ratings, it makes complete sense to me because of that. Nobody, even even people uh, like our age, like nobody's watching. I, I had YouTube TV. I got rid of it. Uh, it's because it was like it was too much and I couldn't get I couldn't even get friends and family to like want to join in on it because you're supposed to like join in on YouTube TV because everybody's just streaming and, and whatever it is. So the, you have a whole population of people who aren't watching live TV. But my aunts in Jersey and my mom, she still watches live TV. So if she and she she probably I think I don't know if she watches which one she watches. But so that's why it makes sense to me. So I think that's how it's just going to change. But I think what people don't realize is like, oh, my God, there's so many great famous late night sets that are just going to be kind of like become archaic because I don't know, maybe they're going to have somebody come up and do like a, a late night minute because then they can make it just an Instagram clip or a thing on whatever the newest app is. And there's a lot of comics that are like mastered. Like Norman's very good at it. This guy, I don't know if you guys know Jeff Caldwell. who's a guy, like an unsung hero of like late night sets. That last Norm McDonald set on Letterman is one of my favorite things in the world. Uh, uh, Jay Larson set on Conan from like 10 years ago. is It was like one long story. I think there's an art to it that's going to be lost because nobody wants to sit and you watch five minutes because I have ADD and people have less attention span than I do now at this point. Everybody just wants their 10 second. Like if you if you if you look up uh not look up, but you hear people pontificate about how to do TikTok and stuff like this. Like you gotta you gotta engage with people in one second. That's why the videos do well. So you have to like say the word. You have to be like farts. Like you can't just it can't just be the bit or the five minute set. It has to be like sex is cool. And then everybody's like, I like sex and they're watching the video. And it's kind of like really to people our age, I think it's like really disappointing. It sucks. Like you kind of, I'd rather it be the other way where it's like, don't get me wrong. I don't mind adapting. I think you don't want to become stale, but you also want to have appreciation for what standup is. And then you're not, I think that's just going to go more and more away. I think it's just going to leave. That, that's a, that's a great, great point. And it's almost like everything that's different than, than, than standup because standup is like the buildup and then it's the suspense 
you know, or, or the tension, right. and then it's the release, which gives you the big laugh. Like like right. a guy like uh, Jesselneck. You, you ever hear his bit about um about hey, did you read the Bible? No, I've heard it. Okay, it's, it's almost like a two and a half, three minute buildup. And if you tap out, you're not getting the pleasure of that release. Yeah. But then like the, the, the punchline is, I mean, the first time I heard it was, was one, of the, one of the hardest I've ever laughed in my life. Right, right, exactly. And then I think that, don't get me wrong, it'll still exist, but it'll be, I think it'll be like, like, it'll be like, this like did you guys watch that earthquake special? Not yet. Heard, I heard it. I heard it. It's phenomenal. It's awesome. And all it reminds you of is like, you're in a club watching this killer veteran comic who's just an absolute murderer, just kill, kill, joke after joke after joke, which you don't see as much anymore because I don't know, you kind of have like you're the Chappelle who I think is amazing, but it's like hey, you got too self-important, you're famous, you're not a stand-up anymore. But you can watch a guy like Roy Wood Jr., who people should be paying attention to, and they're kind of not as much as they should have. Yeah. Like, and then you see Earthquake, who's a guy who probably didn't get what he deserved for 30 years, and then now people are watching this going, Oh my god, like it actually he's done the best job of recreating what it feels like to be in a club. Cause that's one, that's why standup's going to stick around. I think because, well, not that it's going to go away, obviously it's, it's pretty doing pretty well, but I mean, the, the, uh, going to a live club, having that shared experience in a club is never going to be replicated outside of that moment. So I think you're always going to have that exist. So the idea is being the best version within that world, I, I, in my opinion, but that's why it's, that's why I'm saying as far as like, that's why I think it's separate than the rest of this. The rest of this is all kind of gravy to try to like make you make your, your nut so you can actually do the thing in the, in the club and the way you want to do it. I think, you know, yeah, you know, what do you think about like these, TikTok YouTube guys Ugh. who are able to do things on like like on online get a huge following then they go out and try and do it live you find that because I've seen it and don't you see like these audiences getting like disappointed like like this is not what we really paid for or or, or it's like oh it's so much better like on TikTok but like when you see the live show of it they don't have like the chops to really do it because they haven't been really doing like on, on stage yep. for, for a number of years. Every time I uh, see one of those I think of the gift the Michael Jackson gift where like he's sitting there with the popcorn from from, from fucking uh, thriller. <laughs> 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 yeah you do your TikTok go ahead let me see it. I think that uh, I think that I I, I think you're kind of right. I think that, um, yes, but I, the, the, it's one of these things where I don't blame them more than I blame like the clubs. I get why the clubs do it, but the club is basically the bar business, right? So they're just like, exactly. that's why they call that aspect of the business personal appearance. They're not calling it like a personal appearance that uh, 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 guaranteed kills, you know, like I think they, yeah. the, the clubs, I think some care about what they're putting up, but I think, I think a lot of them are like, Hey, we're putting asses in the seats. And uh, we don't care if you read the phone book up there. If you're selling out and you're making us 50 grand in a weekend, we will, uh, we'll have you. And so don't get me wrong. I, yeah, I think that's also a great divide. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think that when it comes to these TikTok guys, it's like, I've, I've seen a ton of funny stuff on TikTok and very produced and these great sketches, but yeah, live. That's why live comedy is very different, but I don't, I think that the, the 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 business side of this, you have a you have a club owner or a club booker going, yeah, this isn't going great. But if he's you know you have him back three months later and he's going to sell out again, what do I care? Like it's like they, 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 nobody, only the people are going to be disappointed in the moment. And some clubs are going to go, we're not having this guy back. And like I think it would have to be really atrocious 
for, I think a lot, that's why a lot of these guys, what they do, I think some of them bring comics and have them go after. So they almost have like a stand-up show yeah. after like the personal appearance. And I think a lot of them do 20 minutes of like decent uh, to media. Like whatever. And then they just go in the front of the room and they go, personal appearance time and they go here's uh pictures and selfies and and then yeah. and the audience they love them so you know they can do that they're like cool i'll just come meet you instead of having to watch you do uh legitimate stand-up like that's why stand-up is different than everything else because like you, you can you can very easily tell that it's not stand-up but hey you mm-hmm. can stand in front of a room and say hello and be kind of funny and then give me a picture and i'm gonna share it with my friends like that's that's like taking over in a lot of respects but there are a lot of clubs that won't even do that bullshit you know Sean, what do you have going on that uh we could promote for you that our that our fans could could kind of like follow you on what are your socials my socials on uh, on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Shawnee Time. It's S C A N Y T I M T I M E. And also, I have a brand new podcast called uh, uh, The Brand New Jerks. That's on wherever you listen to podcasts. And also, we have a YouTube page. Uh, it's basically a podcast for recovering people pleasers because me and my buddy Ray realize that we want to be more assertive in life. So it's us uh, just messing around, but also trying to figure out that that balance between becoming more assertive but not becoming assholes <laughs> so we like talk about that a lot but we also it's just us making fun of each other and joking around but it's called brand new jerks uh and uh, yeah we have a youtube and uh tiktok and you can listen to it on apple podcast google all that jazz folks check out brand new jerks anywhere you can find uh podcast sean final words uh um but, 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 <laughs> fuck ambush shows that's my that's going to be on my epitaph <laughs> i've seen sean donnelly's name for a very long time i've i've seen clips i've always laughed and uh, i'm glad he was on the show uh this is yeah. actually a fun episode and uh now we can uh you know we can uh bullshit a little more going forward i like this i like this a lot yeah absolutely that's so fun that's the that's the mix of having the final words thing. I thought you meant the final words me. I was like, oh, yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> it makes way more sense for Sean, yeah. Listen, man, thank you so much for doing this. And uh, I'll see you in in, uh, in the city. And I won't. <laughs> I've talked to Donnelly on this one, but. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you. you so much, guys. Thanks, guys. I appreciate My pleasure, it. man. Take care. 